Our Prime Minister told us last week that our government's decision on whether or not Huawei technologies will allow to be allowed to set up 5G technology in Canada will be made soon. What exactly that means and how soon it is, I guess we have to wait and see. Um, but in the meantime, there's a lot of people saying, well, that decision really and truly should have been made some time ago. And it's not a hard decision to make. A lot of other countries have already made it. So for more on this discussion, we're going to chat now with Charles Burton, who is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and non-resident senior fellow of the European Value Center for Security Policy in Prague. He's a former professor of political science at Brock and has served as a diplomat at Canada's embassy in Beijing. Mr. Burton, thank you so much for your time this morning. Really appreciate you joining us. Great to speak with you, Shay. So when we talk about this Huawei 5G technology, the Prime Minister is saying, okay, we'll have a decision for you soon. But there was also some other talk about China and their approach to China that sort of maybe plays into why this decision hasn't been made or why it's not a very simple decision as it has been for many of our allies. Well, you know, we've been talking, I mean, the government claims to have been thinking this over and considering it for more than three years. It was promised by Ralph Goodale when he was still in government that the government would decide before the election two elections ago. So the question is really, why won't the government make a decision on Huawei 5G when all of the other members of the Five Eyes Intelligence Consortium have determined that the Huawei 5G technology poses a significant security threat because the Huawei company would be bound under Chinese law to provide Chinese intelligence with any information about you know, databases, cyber espionage, or critical infrastructure that Huawei might you know, that 5G might control, you know, the water, the electricity, and so on. The 5G technology will be integral into a lot of our critical systems. And so, you know, everybody else has decided that this is a bad idea because of Huawei's reputed connection to China's intelligence and security apparatus. And our government now says, oh, we'll come up with a decision in a few weeks. My concern is that they will come up with a decision saying, well, you know, we looked at it and Huawei is not that dangerous to us. We can put it in the periphery of our telecommunication systems, not the core. And they'll make that announcement like, I don't know, Friday before Christmas or something. So that <laughs> the enormous public opinion, which thinks this is a terrible idea, will have time to calm down. Charles, why would they make that decision, though? That's the question. Like you say, I mean, all of our allies have said, no, that's it. 5G is not happening here. We know there are documented security risks with it. Why, at this point, would they be contemplating not just coming out and saying a year ago, like our allies did, yeah, this isn't happening? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is, really, is the government... Um being um, subverted by Chinese interests. I mean, uh, I think to anybody, you know, the Huawei 5G has been thoroughly discredited as a bad option. You know, it, it of course, Bell and TELUS, who have Huawei equipment and would like to install more, would like to get it because it's sold at a considerable discount, you know, 30% or so, to the competitors in, in Europe like uh, Nokia and Ericsson. And those companies, you know, Bell and Telus and other telecommunications companies, they don't have a mandate to protect Canadian national security. Their mandate is to provide 
telecommunications service at the best quality at the best price. Although, as we know, that's pretty damn expensive here in Canada. Yeah, but well, leaving yeah. that aside, um, you know, the question really is, why would our government agree to this? Why would they give in to China on Huawei when it would put a wedge between us and the United States, who has made it clear to us that if we install a Huawei 5G into our telecommunications, that the U.S. will not be inclined to share intelligence to us uh, the way they have been, because some will be regarded as a weak link in, in security. And, I mean, that is the important consideration, right? When we're taking a look at the geopolitical atmosphere that we're living in right now, we we seem to have a lot of countries that have identified. Biden's been speaking publicly about China being a force that needs to be dealt with. We have them, you know, linking up with different countries. Um, Canada seems to be, has, if we're going to get dragged into this, we'll be kicking and screaming the whole way rather than what seems to be the obvious response is, okay, we're going to line up with our allies and do what we need to do. Um, and it's going to hurt our relationships with our allies. Yeah, and I mean, and threaten global security and the international rules-based order, because we know from the Michaels incident and many other things that China sees itself as an exceptional nation that doesn't have to abide by the normal standards of diplomacy. So, you know, if they're going to pick up people and make them into hostages, uh, we should just get used to it. And in trade, you know, when to to engage in economic coercion against us. You know, they, they've messed around with our canola seeds and meat, saying that there's something wrong with those Canadian shipments when there isn't, simply to pressure the government to, to give way on political um, areas. So, you know, I think our, our government thinks that we can be really smart and somehow steer a, a course between the United States and China to in, enhance our economic relationship with China and leave the U.S. to deal with global security and, uh, you know, make our concerns over Chinese espionage, um, interference and menacing of people in Canada and uh, our concerns over China's desire to acquire control of of mines and energy resources aside so that money can be made in in china trade and investment for certain politically influential canadian corporate interests well you know this is just not a, a policy which which serves canada's security and preservation of our sovereignty so you know, Canadians really have to demand that our government be much more transparent on China and get into compliance with our allies to to defend the, the global order and try and maintain justice and reciprocity in trade and diplomacy, which, you know, China is clearly hostile to. You know, we're viewing a lot of this from the Canadian perspective, and it seems fairly obvious to you and I and, and most of the listeners here based on their reaction, but let's view it from the Chinese perspective. This seems to be playing right into their hand, this policy of appeasement, which they have taken full advantage of and flat-out bullied us. Uh, this would be a continuation of that, and in addition, it would further cause dissension in the Western allies that they see as probably their biggest opposition to global domination, Correct. Yeah, I mean, it just emboldens them to do more. I mean, like, what exactly are we doing to make it clear to the Chinese government that what they did to Kovrikin's favor was, you know, extremely offensive to Canada? Absolutely damn all. You know, yep. there's not a... We're not making a single retaliatory measure now that those guys are back in safety. The government instead says, oh, it's time to, as they put it, com- 
coexist, compete, cooperate and challenge China, which is really about capitulation in the interests of, of you know, short term corporate gain. And so, I, I, you know, I think that Canadians of whatever political stripe really have to stand up for our Canadian values and sovereignty and say to the people in Ottawa, these elites who, you know, who seem to be prepared to to sell out our interests because they they can derive some personal benefit, particularly after they leave political office. They may be rewarded with, you know, lucrative uh, board memberships or, you know, other interesting things involving China, that this is just not acceptable. And what we what we really need is is to do what Australia has done, which is to have a Foreign Influence Transparency Scheme Act where people who are in positions of policy-making authority, who are recipients of benefit from a foreign state, have to declare that mm-hmm. so that we know there's a conflict of interest. And why our government resists enacting this legislation is beyond me, because obviously it's a good idea that we know who's being benefiting from a foreign country and therefore is in effect lobbying on that behalf. So is it we're already that deeply infiltrated that it's hard to, I mean, some of the things that you're talking about here and the, the influence that the Chinese government has on our government, um, it seems like we're pretty far down that road already, Charles. Well, that's certainly the Australian scholar Clive Hamilton says that we have more elite capture than any other advanced Western country in Canada. I mean, if we had the legislation and demanded that people be transparent about this, um, you know, then we'd be able to get more to the bottom of it. But, you know, when Australia put that in, they found out that their Minister of International Trade, who had negotiated the free trade agreement between Australia and China, was uh, in recipient of an $880,000 a year private consultancy well nothing illegal about it um you know but when you know it did it did it, it, it did cause people to to wonder if there's a connection you know between the what what the man was doing in government and uh, the fact that he was being rewarded richly afterwards when the australian legislation came into effect um andrew robb resigned the private consultancy because of the perception that that there was a conflict there so to me, I, I always thought the Huawei thing, you know, maybe we were waiting until the two Michaels were freed and then we'd come out and say, no, Huawei, you, we're, we're going to follow along with our allies. Sounds to me like you're not 100% convinced that that is the decision we will get from the Trudeau government ultimately. It doesn't look like it. And wow. certainly a recent speech by the uh, Canadian ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, encouraging Canadians to do more trade and investment with China, uh, suggests that it seems that once you know, once they they cleared up the Michaels thing, it was to open the way for for more deals with Chinese communist business networks. You know, this this troubles me. It seems to me that once we cleared up the Michaels thing, it was time to get into compliance with Australia and the United States and UK, UK and-, and Japan and India, and uh, and try and bring China into compliance with the expectations of of the globe in terms of how you how you deal with foreign countries and and how you you um work together for the benefit of all you know in the pact with the USA with the uh, USA Australia and the UK is that an example of how we're damaging ourselves in the eyes of our allies with our our stance on China and they're they're just leaving us out when they form new pacts absolutely i mean you know why is canada not there canada 
has a, a major um, outlet to the Asia Pacific, and you know we're, we're actually geographically slightly closer uh, at our closest point to Asia Pacific than Australia is. Australia is a smaller country with a smaller population, so why are they the ones that are joining with the UK and the mm-hmm. and the US and Canada? Uh, apparently, um, from what we hear, President Biden didn't even bother to to inform Prime Minister Trudeau in advance. We've got we've become that irrelevant to to the alliance. Scary, scary stuff. Charles, always appreciate the insight. Thank you so much. Good to speak with you. Yeah, you too. Charles Burton, who is a senior fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, a non-resident senior fellow of the European Values Centre for Security Policy in Prague, and a former professor of political science at Brock University. He's also served as a diplomat at Canada's embassy in Beijing. Guy knows the lay of the land when it comes to Canada-China.